0: KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It seems like we're starting to get to the point where we might need to have a little discussion here about what City Hall has become better known for. Do we know City Hall more for the Billy Penn statue or unfortunately for council members facing corruption charges? What have we got going on here?
1: Timely question.
2: Jay, it reminds me, this makes me think of the Batman, maybe because I just recently saw it, but where the Riddler is kind of going after all the corrupt politicians. Are we going to have that here in our city?
1: Maybe this seems so pronounced and in your face because we just six months ago had another corruption trial involving a council member. That was Bobby Heenan. Now we're talking about kenyatta johnson i think this brings up a couple big picture issues guys one is obviously how much and how pervasive is corruption within city hall two as we're going to hear later on could there be a serious issue where let's say on the surface these council members are acting with good intent there's a blurring of rules and regulations about what they can do and what they can't do and then they end up finding themselves in some really serious trouble in hot water and they end up landing in places where we also wonder if they
0: think, is there a line or does the line not actually apply to them? I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Brian Seltzer.
2: I'm Sabrina boyd Circa.
0: And KYW City Hall Bureau Chief Pat Loeb is going to be joining us to talk about the start of Councilman Kenyatta Johnson's federal corruption trial. She'll talk to us about the charges, the jury selection, the implications and the key names that are surrounding this. But I've still got yesterday's accident on my mind, the one that occurred on 95 near Lincoln Financial Field, we've learned some details. The two officers who were killed were identified as 33-year-old Martin Mack and 29-year-old Brandon Siska. And the man they were trying to help on the highway, he was also killed in the incident. It was
1: just horrible. Yeah. Such a tragedy that became even more gut-wrenching when you heard some of the details about Martin Mack and Brandon Siska. Siska had just joined the state police force last year. He was also a volunteer firefighter. Jim Melwert, our Suburban Bureau Chief, he spoke with the Deputy Chief of Siska's Fire Company, John Bolger.
0: His father is a member of the fire company, his father-in-law, his wife's a member of the fire company as well. So it's a very close community here. He was an example to all of us. We are saddened and grieving today, and we are thinking of Trooper Siska and his his wife and family, he leaves behind a wife who uh, and an unborn child. He has a baby on the way.
1: So that was reaction from yesterday. Then some really big news today. A 21-year-old from Montgomery County, Jayana Webb of Eagleville, is facing three counts each of third-degree murder, homicide by vehicle DUI, and related charges in the deaths of the two state troopers and the man they were trying to help on 95. Now, Jim is reporting that sources close to the investigation tell him, and this is where it gets... Really crazy. Not long before the deadly crash, the police troopers had pulled over the woman who's charged, Jayana Webb, on 95 North near Allegheny for driving dangerously. It's unknown how much interaction there was during that traffic stop before the other call came in to go help the man in the left lane of 95 South near the sports complex in South Philly. Webb was apparently given a warning, got off 95 North, then got back on 95 South and apparently, Webb also turned around. It's not clear, according to Jim, why. State police say at around 1 a.m., that's when the police officers, Mack and Siska, were helping the third man into the car. Webb came onto the left shoulder between the barrier and the left lanes of traffic, hitting and killing all three men. The third man was identified as Reyes Rivera Oliveras, 28 years old, from Allentown. Wow. A lot to digest and process with that. Check the show notes. We've got a link to an article with the latest on everything that's going on in this investigation.
2: Some news from SEPTA. We know that they are trying to get more riders. So they're starting this new pilot program now that is helping companies give their employees free rides. Mike DiNardo talked to SEPTA about the strategy.
3: Workers get free rides on any SEPTA vehicle under the SEPTA Key Advantage pilot. It works like this. Employers buy six months of passes from SEPTA for $140 per worker. And then, says SEPTA General Manager Leslie Richards, their employees will be able to ride SEPTA at no cost to them. The aim is to get workers back into the habit of taking transit to work, says SEPTA's Director of Operating Budgets, Eric Johansson
0: a real you know, power in putting something in someone's hands that feels free. It gives them a, a very significant incentive to use the pass, which we think is going to create a habit of transit use uh, and really start to drive ridership back onto our system.
3: SEPTA says ridership is at 51 percent of what it was before the pandemic. 16,000 employees at Drexel, PennMed, and Wawa are eligible to apply for the benefit that starts May 1st.
1: Sabrina, I know that you are a tried-and-true trolley commuter. I take the regional rail in, and I'm not trying to do any payola or plugola here, but (laughs) I love my septic commute. It's great. It's comfortable. I think it's environmentally conscious. It forces you to get out, stretch the legs, walk to your station, walk to your destination. I think this is a nice program. Brian, you're not trying to get one of those passes, are you? Now listen, I say, in full (laughs) disclosure, I think our great parent company, Odyssey, has some very nice commuter benefits that I do take advantage of, but this is next level.
2: Free is always better, right? I do have to wonder, you know, I would sign up because I do have to go in to record with, with you guys, but is this enough to convince people who can work very comfortably from home that they would want to commute back into the office? I mean, I would think employees are probably thinking about that when they sign up for this program
1: well listen this is not to suggest there's any opportunism going on but there's also this global crisis happening right now which is driving gas prices through the roof so perhaps this would be an opportune moment for people out there even if you do have cars to save some even more shekels take advantage of the free program and get on the train trolley bus whatever it is Now,
0: Brian, you mentioned we are in the midst of a global crisis, and that crisis is between Ukraine and Russia. President Biden seems to be preparing the United States for Russia's next move after putting the country on alert for cyber attacks. Now, Mike Doherty got some insights from a cybersecurity expert about what this could actually mean.
3: President Biden said it's coming, but he didn't offer any specifics. Still, he says Russia's capacity for cyber attacks is fairly consequential and that state actors have been laying the groundwork for an attack by searching for vulnerabilities within American networks. Cybersecurity analyst Alan Liska at Recorded Future says the cybersecurity community has been on alert for some time now and companies should be paying close attention to its web traffic and flagging any unusual activity.
1: We're surprised it's taken this long. It seems That there's been a lot of delay in Russia from. Getting to the point of launching the attack against Ukraine to actually launching some of these cyber attacks that were expected earlier.
3: He says sometimes the best defense is a good offense, and U.S. officials should be identifying where the attacks might be coming from and stop them in their tracks. For months, the Biden administration has prodded companies to prevent cyber attacks through a slew of tactics, including patching known vulnerabilities, running through drills and emergency plans, as well as encrypting and backing up data. It is
1: just crazy that that's the type of world we live in these days when that's the type of thing we now have to brace ourselves for. I got to say, I was on Twitter last night lurking through the scroll during the 76ers game, and lo and behold, what did I see? Jay Scott Smith tweeting about his presence at the game, getting ready for a big halftime event. Jay, tell the people, what were you doing down at Wells Fargo last night? So last night,
0: Odyssey, along with uh, the Philadelphia Police Athletic League, was holding an event. It was kind of a pal night at the Sixers game. And at halftime, they had a celebrity game, then celebrity, of course, being used very loosely when it comes to me, but celebrity game where a number of members of the media were able to play for 10 minutes with a number of kids from the Philadelphia Police Athletic Leagues, basketball leagues. And I was one of the people who was out there who got to actually put on my basketball shorts. I got my shoes on. I got to step on an NBA court, something that I'd only kind of passively thought about when I was 10 years old, but I actually got to do that. And it was an unbelievably cool experience to do it. I wasn't the only one there, by the way, from KYW News Radio. Timmy Menez, along with Pete Inorato, I'll put it like this I have fully affirmed and established that I am 42 years old and not 21. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, I'm always the uh, non sports ball person of the group, but it may surprise you to learn I actually played basketball for a short time. In my youth, my father was a coach. It was a whole family affair. So uh, I'm a little bit jealous, honestly, Jay. It would be kind of fun to get back on the court as much as I would epically fail.
1: Now, Sabrina, when Jay walked into the studio today, there was a little bit of a hitch in the giddy up. It seemed like the guy put in some work. (laughs) But there's also one other person there, and we felt like we had to bring in someone who could give us a keen analysis. (laughs) Of what took place last night. We're going to introduce everyone out there to, let's give a round of applause, Allie Amato, one of our do-alls here at KYW, a writer, editor, newsroom, administrative assistant. So, Allie, we need your analysis. How did our man do last night?
2: Um, I don't know if I could say that my analysis was keen. Uh, Definitely enjoyed myself there, and it was really awesome to see all of our KYW peeps play. I think Jay killed it along with Tim Jimenez and Pete just putting their all in it. KYW really showed up and showed out.
0: they had to be what, about 8,000 people at halftime? There's still 8,000, 9,000 people still in the stands. Mm-hmm. The PA announcer called my name out as when he was th- like, <laughs> I couldn't tell you who won. I just know it was real cool to get out there and do that. For something like the Police Athletic League, which when I was a kid, I played baseball. That was my first baseball league was a Police Athletic League. Team. So that has always been kind of a close thing to me because my dad got me into PAL through, through the police athletic league that, that I grew up in. Just that whole experience was great. But God, am I tired right now? <laughs> oh.
2: <laughs> I think you speak for everyone when you say that. I yeah. feel like nobody was really expecting uh, what it would actually be like.
1: Al, I got to ask you real quick next year, do we redraft the same three KYW News Radio participants or do we need a fresh injection of energy in there? Not to put you on the spot in the presence of one of the players.
2: <laughs> well, um, as for Tim Jimenez, I asked him specifically if he was going to dunk on a child, and he <laughs> said absolutely not. So I think he's got to be cut for next year. <laughs> oh, Allie's
1: tough.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Allie wants, her, wants, out, wants us out there post posterizing 12-year-olds. If I still had the ability to get up that high, I probably would have tried, to be honest with you. <laughs> but that's just me. Allie, thanks you so, thank you so much. For coming in here and and talking to us. It's great to actually have you in here for the first time here on the Johncast with us.
2: Great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Now, in a minute, we'll talk with KYW City Hall Bureau Chief Pat Loeb is going to fill us in on yet another corruption trial involving a city council member, this one, Kenyatta Johnson. That's coming up in a moment. I'm Jay. I'm Brian. And six months ago, it was Bobby Heenan. Now it's Kenyatta Johnson. Yes, we've got another federal corruption charge on our hands here involving a member of the Philadelphia City Council. So that means we welcome back in KYW News Radio City Hall Bureau Chief Pat Loeb. Pat, good to have you back on here. Always a pleasure, Jay. So, Pat, lay this out for us. What charges is Councilman Johnson facing, and is there anybody else in his orbit that's caught up in this too?
4: You know, it's another case like Keenan's, where anyone who watches City Council would say. Johnson did what councilmen do, sponsored zoning changes requested by property owners, he threw his weight around a little bit with the Redevelopment Authority. But federal prosecutors say it was part of a quid pro quo, that the reason Johnson took those actions is that the beneficiaries had bribed him. So he's charged with bribery and honest services fraud. That Those are the boilerplate charges for a case like this. And in this case, the beneficiaries... Are the Universal companies, and that's a charter school operator founded by music producer Kenny Gamble. But specifically, prosecutors say it was the top two executives of Universal, Abdul Rahim Islam and Shahid Dewan, who benefited because they were embezzling money from the company. And prosecutors allege they bribed Johnson by giving a sixty-six thousand dollar contract to a consulting company owned by Johnson's wife, Dawn Chavu So. That's the case. Islam and Dewan are charged with a lot of other offenses, too, but they'll be tried separately for those. This case just involves the consulting contract and Johnson's help with zoning and other assistance on some property universal owned in his district.
0: How serious are these charges when you hear the words embezzling and quid pro quo and you think of just what we went through with Councilman Heenan? What kind of trouble could Kenyatta Johnson be in from this?
4: Well, there are serious charges. Each one carries a 20 year sentence. So the max would be 40 years in prison for him and his wife if they're found guilty.
0: Now, this also is a case that's just now starting to come to a head because this is this. This doesn't seem like it's a brand new thing.
4: Right. These charges go back to 2014. That's when Johnson introduced uh, legislation that helped Universal with Old theater that they'd bought on South Street. It was falling apart. It was historic, and they decided that they couldn't really develop it. But then they also couldn't sell it because of the way it was zoned. And so Johnson stepped in and, and got them some zoning changes. They also owned some property that they'd gotten real cheap from the Redevelopment Authority because they promised to develop it. And that is what the Redevelopment Authority does. But then they didn't develop it. So the Redevelopment Authority was about to take it back. And Johnson called them and said, no, you shouldn't take it back yet. Give them more time. And that is not unusual. That happens all the time.
1: Pat, it's so wild to me that yet again, like you pointed out, there are parallels between how these charges came up and what happened with Bobby Heenan. Is there a reason you think why now we've seen these uh, not quite back-to-back cases, but two cases just getting underway in the last six months? Is it just a coincidence? What do you think the timing is behind it now?
4: I, I do think it's just a coincidence. This investigation into Johnson was really began as an investigation into Islam and Dwan with the uh, Universal Companies. And of course, the case against Teenen began with an investigation into Local 98 of the Electricians Union, uh, led by John Dougherty, uh, which started even before the Dewan and Islam investigation. So this obviously has taken a long time to come to trial. Both cases did. That was largely because of the pandemic. Uh, the pandemic halted federal trials in 2020. And so uh, that's why these these cases are just now coming to trial.
0: Now, you mentioned John Doherty there because he was the name that's tied so closely to the now former councilman Bobby Heenan. It was also a significant trial because of the jury selection that comes in a federal case. Can you just kind of explain to the people why this is such an important detail in in cases like this?
4: Because the the charges are against a, a Philadelphia official Philadelphia is a big, complicated city, and business is conducted here in various ways to accommodate many different constituencies. But the jury comes from all over the Eastern District of Pennsylvania. That's like multiple guys who think it's six counties, and most of them are rural, small town counties, no big cities. And in the case of Heenan, it, it really seemed that You know, the jurors were kind of horrified at how the sausage is made in Philadelphia, whereas maybe a Philadelphia jury wouldn't have been so shocked by it.
1: All right, Pat. So we're still in the early days of the start of this trial. Where do things stand right now?
4: (laughs) Well, they don't even have a jury yet. The jury selection started yesterday. The judge dismissed about half of them yesterday and said, you know, we think we have enough to put a pool together by tomorrow morning. Well, this morning he came in. One juror called out sick, two had like doctor's notes, essentially excuses for not participating, and then a, a bunch, an unknown number. He didn't disclose the number, but some just didn't show up. And so suddenly they found they couldn't complete jury selection after all. So they had their the trial's going very slowly so far.
0: I understand they also revealed a list of witnesses. Now, were there any surprises in this list and what Pretty much makes these witnesses so intriguing. Like, do they have a connection to Councilman Johnson? What's what's the story there?
4: There are four elected officials on the witness list, and they are a surprise. They were a surprise to me because uh, one of them is um, State Senator Anthony Williams, who Johnson and Chavu both worked for. He's their ally. He's a prosecution witness. Same with Jordan Harris. He's a state rep and then State Senator Sharif Street. These guys are all allies, I thought, <laughs> but but suddenly you have these three people showing up as witnesses for the prosecution. Also witnesses for the prosecution, school superintendent, Bill Haidt, Philadelphia Housing Authority president, Kelvin Jeremiah. This cannot be comfortable for those people. <laughs> On the defense side, you also have a state rep. In fact, the state House Minority Leader, Joanna McClinton, and some, you know, prominent citizens, Jeff Brown of ShopRite, and then a bunch of nonprofit leaders like Dorothy Johnson Spate, who runs Mothers in Charge. And so it's really it's a little bit of a who's who of, you know, Philadelphia movers and shakers. Let's back this
0: up a little bit for people who may be new to this. you got to give us a little bit of a backstory on Councilman Johnson. How did he come into power? What are some of the things that he's been fighting for in his time in city government?
4: Well, he is a big anti-violence advocate. And as he always says about himself, you know, he, he was part of the problem when he was younger. He was a little bit wild. And then his cousin got killed outside of an elementary school. And that really changed his life. At that point, he said he wanted to be part of the solution. And so he started an anti-violence group ended up running for state representative, and he did serve in Harrisburg. And then he came to city council, and his agenda on city council has very much been an anti-violence one. He's the chair of a special committee on gun violence, and he talks about it all the time and lobbies for it and holds a lot of events, anti-gun violence events. He's still kind of a community activist.
1: I was going to say, Pat, I remember seeing just a week or so ago in the aftermath of. Yet another homicide. He was involved in an online forum, I think, with Commissioner and Outlaw. And you'd almost think that if you didn't know any better, everything within his world was fine and going on business as usual. H- how is he taking all this?
4: Presumption of innocence, Brian. He's, <laughs> That's right. He is innocent and he s- says he is innocent. He says he will be fully exonerated. He and his wife. And so, yeah, he is carrying on as usual. Is it?
0: still strange that after a a council member has been charged and is sitting on trial, that they can still continue to serve in council as if nothing's going on, nothing to see here?
4: No, no, that's not unusual at all. (laughs) Actually, a lot of city council members have been indicted and continue to serve. And state law says they don't have to resign until they're sentenced. So you certainly wouldn't resign before you even had your day in court.
1: So I guess, Pat, that speaks to The big issue here is if there's been this track record and this history of council members being indicted and facing charges, I don't know if we have enough time or resources to solve this, but what can be done? How much of this is perhaps some bad actors? How much of this is the rules and regulations, like you were alluding to earlier, are just blurred? And if you take on face value what some of these council members and elected officials are saying, they're not sure what's kosher and what isn't.
4: Right, and you know, council members have said that after after Heenan's conviction, Councilman Mark Squilla said, "I, I th- maybe we need more training to to tell us what's wrong," because he thought that Heenan had kind of just been doing his his duty as a councilman. Zoning legislation is for property owners. That's something city council members do every day, making calls on behalf of constituents. Something council members do every day. And there are rules, you know, there are ethics rules to about, you know, staying an arm's length away from sources of income, keeping them out of your council business. But, you know, your wife's company having a consulting contract with a company who owns property in your district would not be that unusual uh, or, you know, would not on its face seem to present a problem, according to council rules as they exist now. There have been a couple pieces of legislation introduced to try to tighten up what's allowable a little bit. They haven't gotten a hearing yet. They'll probably pass, but whether it'll change anything, like I said, this is what these guys do.
0: Pat thank you so much for joining us to talk about, unfortunately, another council member sitting here on federal charges with us.
4: Well, it's a sad topic, but it was an enjoyable conversation. Thank you, Jay.
0: Thank you so much. You can follow Pat Loeb at Pat Loeb on Twitter. That's it for this Tuesday. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Brian Seltzer.
2: I'm Sabrina boyd Circa.
0: And on your Wednesday, we'll catch up with Hadass Kuznets, who's been working on a story about a group of Philadelphia chefs who went to Poland to help feed Ukrainian refugees at the border. Thank you for joining us today. We'll be back at you to get over that
1: hump tomorrow.